three. All right, Tari, welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. Friday morning, well, I don't know what day it is that you're listening to this, but Tari Cash and I are here in Washington, D.C. We are sort of on the last phase of the Adventures in Golf episode that we're shooting here about race and golf, and Tari's been kind enough to now give me multiple sessions of her time. Um, it's a humid Friday, sunny morning in D.C. in the uh, late June 2020, um, and we're in the Airbnb where the crew and I are staying. Tari's been nice enough to meet us at 8 in the morning to do this podcast, and this is sort of extracurricular. We've, ar- we've already shot most of the things we need for the episode, and um, I don't know if the episode has come out yet or not. I don't, I don't know about any of that. I can't tell you the future, but... I'm very happy to have you on the show today, Tari. How are you? Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. I feel very grateful and, and lucky. And, and maybe just as a preamble, I will say, um, I wanted to say this on some form of a podcast at some point, but last night the crew and I went to dinner and w- w- I was kind of really reflecting on how lucky we are as, mm-hmm. a, as, a, as a crew to basically spend our lives going around and setting up a camera so that the moment has intention so that the cell phones are turned off so that you put your intention into whatever you are talking about and then we get to ask people questions and it's not awkward if we don't really respond because we're listening actively Mm. and we get to talk about things that well I mean you would never really talk about uh, before three weeks ago And we also get to meet new people. So you couldn't, uh, one, one person couldn't just go on Craigslist and say, I want to talk to someone about what it's like to be black in 2020. You can't really do that. But that's what, we, that's how we make up our days. You know, and we, and, and we use golf as a background. We use golf as like, you know, one matching chromosome. And then everything else is like, your life is different than mine. Yeah. And that's adventures in golf. Is That's the adventure, is, is exploring the differences you know, in the beginning, it was a little bit more innocuous. Like it was like landscape or language or, you know, and then it got into the dreams that you have. And now it's in a lot of ways, it's the difficulties you face. So um, I'm really grateful to be able to to do that with you and, and to, to really live that life and for you to be a part of it. So long winded way of saying thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Because. Um, what I am most excited about about this time that we're in is the conversations. We are finally keeping it real. You know, we are at a place where um, talking about race is people are, I don't want to say excited, but people are looking and leaning into the conversation. And I am more willing to speak up about how I feel. I feel that some of my friends that are white are more willing to ask me questions that I don't think they would have asked me three weeks before all of these social or months before some of these social injustices have been exposed in our country. And that is what gives me the most amount of hope right now is that people are talking. And in the golf industry, we need to talk too. some real things to talk about. Yeah. And and even the uh, the idea of talking is like it's been happening. It's just like uh, the the terrible analogy I'm coming up with is like it's not across party lines. (laughs) Right. Like like I'm sure you growing up with your friends that looked like you, Mm -hmm. you all talked about it. White people didn't really talk about it. There wasn't much to talk about. 
with my friends growing up. Yeah. It wasn't visible to you. Yeah. I'm not um, seeing anything. You're not seeing anything. Whereas nobody can not see my skin color, which in turn causes me every second of every day to think about my skin color. The credentials that I have, and I have a number that I'm very proud of, nobody sees that first. What they first see is a black girl. And then if they're willing to talk to me, they will learn where I've grown up. They will learn the schools that I have gone to. They will learn the companies that What's I've that worked for. What's that one school you went to? What's that one school? <laughs> you know, some, some people call it HBS. Some people call it Harvard Business School. Um, <laughs> it's very... the school where if you see the logo on a guy's gym shorts on the plane, you, you raise your eyebrows. You, you raise your eyebrows. People, people stop and they listen um, once they know that you've gone to HBS. And... Uh, but they don't see that. Nobody knows no. that about me first. No. And, it, and, and the interesting thing, Eric, is I don't know anything about you either if I see you walking down the street. That's a good point. But. You know I have good hair. I know you, <laughs> you have great hair. <laughs> I would stop and be like, oh, look at that hair. Um, I mean, we're both in the good hair. <clears> but. but the biases, right? Yeah. The biases are different. And that's what causes me to think about race every moment of every day and maybe I don't want to speak for you, but maybe for you to not think about it until you see uh, the documentation and some of the videos that have come out and you start to hear more of the stories of what people of color have gone through. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what engineered and pushed forward a lot of the beginning of this most recent career of mine of making golf videos and having a small golf brand Um came about through you know when I first started playing golf I mean this is going to sound terribly microscopic but you know I felt like I didn't fit in right uh just because I don't know I I, I didn't want to dress like the everyday golfer I didn't really want to act like it um and I didn't grow up with the etiquette or the knowledge and so even though you know I mean I even experienced so, so I even experienced some I guess it was prejudice. I don't know. I'm not trying to claim, you know, that that I know what it's like because I because I definitely have said. I, I hear don't. you. I hear you. But I guess maybe that's just an example of how small the door is, how few people get into the golf world, right? I mean, and that's not obviously. If you're listening to this, you know, you you know all of which we've spoken about for the last 200 episodes. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is this. There can be a very small keyhole to get through into the game of golf. Let's let's create this analogy, right? Just like everybody knows what it's like to shank a ball. Everybody knows what it's like to have a, a putt come up short. Everybody knows what it's like to hit the 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 cleanest you know straight down the fairway drive. We know the good feeling and we know the bad feeling. It's just how is it applicable in our lives? And I agree, you know, I'm not going to equate um, white privilege or, you know, white people's experiences to black people's experience in this country. It's, it's, we, we unfortunately do have two different realities in this country, but I believe you that you, we can bond and I believe you when you say you didn't fit in to the golf industry and you have an idea of, uh, you can have empathy for what it must feel like, 
um, or know what you don't know in terms of what it must feel like for a black person in this country, particularly a black person that has rise to certain ranks in the golf industry. So I, I, I hear you. I, I really do want to make sure that that doesn't get taken out of context because as you say it, as you say it, I hear back it and I'm like, you're an idiot, Eric. You have no idea. So it may get taken out of context, but I hope they listen to the full interview because I immediately am taking that back. You know what? It's impossible. It's, it, it's, it's a stupid, it was a stupid thing for me to say. And I'm honestly sorry. And honestly, I'll bet there are, there are people listening who are either like you're an idiot or who are just actually offended. I hope not. I hope not because I, I think be that we um, we got to get beyond that BS. Like, let's look at people's actions and 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 yes, yes. There is no way you can know what it's like to to be black in America. But if you're asking the questions, if you are intentional about having the conversations with black people that are interested in golf, if you are intentional, intention, you know, with intention operating to make the world a better place, I as a black person have to give you space to do that and to uh, say something and then say, oh, shit, I sound like an asshole. I didn't mean to say that and be okay with it. And be okay with it. And you, as a white person, I think you have to seek out these stories. You have to, you sought, you know, someone connected us. And you have treated me with such great respect in terms of helping to promote my business and understand my story. That means way more than you may be saying something where you feel like you sounded like an idiot. I am not gonna, I'm not gonna be on that level because change doesn't come from that level. It's about actually the actions that you take with intention. That is what's gonna move things forward. You know, it's a, you know what just happened actually. It's kind of really interesting. Maybe more so than most of the things that have happened, even for me, is and and I've seen a lot of things over the last three or four weeks. Um, I've seen my thinking, which has been really interesting. And I'm, and I'm actually not really comfortable to share some of these things, mm-hmm. but they were um, uh, jarring, really. And I was like, whoa, like the, I am not as innocent as I thought. Yeah. And, and, it's, and I believe that it's not me as my seed and my flower growing into this thing. It's just like you're used to seeing the wind blow a certain way all the time. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'll find a way. I'm definitely, you know, I'm, I, anyway, maybe I'll talk about that at some point. It was subtle, but it was very not subtle as well with the light on it. Um, but what just happened was is kind of a reason why people don't want to talk about it. It's because here, like, we're just, we've already had one conversation. Mm-hmm. We were already together the other day. I've been having multiple conversations with other people and I haven't, you know, and, and I think it's like there is an element of you don't want to say anything that's going to embarrass you. You don't want to say anything that's going to implicate you, but you know, and you also don't want to, you know, but you also know that you're not really supposed to not say anything. And I think a big part of it is that nobody knows what to say, at least on my side. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot you, you, you you're there's a lot of fear around talking about it because you, it's like it's like I mean there is no format for talking about it. There's no there's no like nobody knows how to do it. Yeah. Listen, 
I think you, I think that I think the approach to this is to ask the questions and to listen. Um, it took us 400 years to get here. <laughs> it is not going to get unwound and we are neither side, I hate to say that, but white, black, we are not going to have the right words to articulate this moment in the moment. So let's just listen and let's just, I do think it's very important to give space for people to mess up and to say it wrong and then to say, I want to correct that. That's the one thing that I hope my brothers and sisters and my friends um, that we will figure out how to do because I do have empathy with um, people that I know are good people, good white people that have helped me along the way that are struggling with how to find the right words to say. Um, I also clearly feel the anger and the exhaustion of my folks that are just like fed up with this time. You're going to run into some black people that are like, Eric, you go figure this out on yourself. You sounded like an idiot. You need to read all these race books. You, you know, like I'm not here to educate you. It's on you. If you want to educate yourself there, there are a lot of people that very rightfully feel that way. That is a sign of exhaustion. That is a sign of, I am tired of being tired and I don't, I don't want to be responsible for educating you. And then you'll find people on the other end of the spectrum. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, that's so it's looking at it from just zooming out for a second. That's like, uh, that's like having a really, a really, really terrible child, just terribly behaved child who then grows up and just explodes their life and burns everything down and then comes back to the person whom they wronged in childhood and says, will you help me fix this? I really might burn my own house down. Will you help me? And the person's like, huh, I'm tired. I'm, t I'm totally tired of like fixing your problem. You know what I mean? You created this mess. Yeah, you Mom and dad, like you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, you will have people, I think I'm probably on the other end of the spectrum where I'm like, my personal belief is change is not going to come if we don't, if we don't have these conversations. Racism in America can't go away without white people. As black people, we need white people to help us extinguish <laughs> this fire. Extinguish white people? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, that could, I'm sure someone's thought of that idea. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure someone thought about this idea. If I could be pretty transparent with you, um, I think that this is this is a little provocative, but I, I think that one of the worst things that happened to black people in this country is desegregation. <laughs> and that is a bit counterintuitive. But prior to desegregation, we had black communities where we had black teachers that had master's degrees. We had doctors, we had lawyers, we had pharmacists, we had thriving communities. In fact, where we're sitting in Washington, D.C. right now, this is one of those all-black, thriving communities. Our school systems, I can't tell you the teachers that were in our school systems, how deeply they cared about educating black kids. Then all of a sudden you have segregation. And now you have black kids that are automatically, because of biases, and because of intention, institutional racism, uh, 
considered to be at the bottom of the class, not worthy of spending the extra time giving that extra tutoring or teaching, you know, spending those extra hours teaching those children, having very low expectations for them. So through what was supposed to create equality between blacks and whites, you actually instituted a system that helped keep black people down even further. And so while I don't want white people to be extinguished, (laughs) I do think there was, um, there's an interesting truth here to the fact that uh, we cared and and, and created communities for ourselves that I think may have been a little bit stronger than what happened after when things became segregated. This is my hypothesis. De- desegregated. I'm sorry, de- desegregated. That's fascinating, and I can totally see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like the experiment didn't work. I think there may have been, you know, you've heard of redlining. Um, I have not. It's not. So so redlining is um, a system that banks used in order to give loans to people in certain communities and not give loans to people in other communities. So what ended up happening is they would redline the black communities and a bank would automatically decline someone that was applying for a loan that lived in one of those communities. Um, This is what we talk about when we talk about systemic racism, because this is how you keep generations of families down. Uh, So segregation, right, um, enabled redlining because you had black communities versus white communities and then even when things started to become more desegregated uh, because it took some time banks were able to to use this tool in order to keep black families from being able to advance economically yeah and that over time and that's why i say this is a issue that's 400 years in the making every decision um, has been happening along the way for 400 years has, and I shouldn't say every, I don't want to talk in terms of extremes, but many, 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 many decisions have snowballed into the, the world where we are today. Yeah. I mean, I think we should come back to this. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about City swing. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna, it's like an interval workout. Yes. We're, we're gonna are. we're gonna hit it hard and then we're gonna take a little break. Okay. Um, so city swing. I'll tell the the wonderful the wonderful listeners of the podcast and any random golf club members in Washington D.C. is a must visit. First of all, um, it is the first of its kind, the first indoor golf simulator hang session. Um, it's it's vibey it's not it's it's unusually vibey there's not a lot of vibes when you go to um hit a simulator but and it's also a cool crew you've got a cool community of you know uh people that are kind of you know whether it's a lesson you want or whether you just want to hang out whatever it is um it's really exciting and i think 
I'll I'll just continue putting words in your mouth. But um, the <laughs> the uh, I think the coolest thing is maybe in I I, don't, I never looked at your business plan, but the coolest thing I think is probably in there, and it talks about um, inclusivity, which is something I'm really big on. So yeah. so without further ado, I'll press the elevator button. And now we're in the elevator. Go ahead. Amazing. So our mission at City Swing is to make golf convenient and fun for everyone. And those words mean a lot to me. It took me a a while to come up with those words. Um, First and foremost, fun. Golf needs to be fun. You're not going to do anything that's not fun. And it should be fun. I mean, if we were getting paid for it, then that's one thing. But uh, since we're not, we should be able to have fun at it. Um, Convenient. It it is very difficult when you live in Washington, D.C. to get to a great golf course, um, uh, to get to some of the the quality of the private courses here. They're expensive. They're a little further out. As more younger people are living and working in the city, we wanted a convenient place where you could go and practice. And then the For Everyone is all about the inclusivity. Um, Golf, the barriers to get into golf can be very, very high. And so we just want a place where everybody feels welcome. Come as you are. We wear jeans and T-shirts. We have hip hop playing all day long. And we're pretty, we're very competitive crew. So we are intentional and respect the game of golf. We want to get better. And um, that's why we have TrackMan technology. But we want to do it in a vibe where it's like no one is holding you accountable for anything. There are no rules. Play your way. Do whatever you want. Um, but if you do want to get better, we've got the we've got the right technology for you to advance your game. We are going to have an event as soon as events are, you know, okay to have. Yeah. Which I'm really looking forward to. I, I, I'm and and as a side note, before we go to a quick commercial break, I, I'm really loving Washington D.C. Yeah, it's an incredible place. It is. How long have you been here? I've been here for ten years now. Yeah, crazy. You know, the last time I was here was probably like Smithsonian visit in my teens, or or around there or something. And you know, now visiting it again, it felt like coming back, and and it was like. I was almost starstruck by yeah. the monument and the Capitol and the White House. It's been such a, you know, depicted so heavily, both in, you know, um, whatever, the show 24, House of Cards. I don't even know. Like, I just keep seeing it. And now, especially with the news, it's constant news out of D.C. these last three years. Yeah. Eight months. Surprising. You got to check out the food. The food. Next time you come back, DC's food scene and music scene, crazy. You all know that we've got the history, we got the monuments, we got that stuff covered, but some of the most incredible um, chefs in the country have have restaurants here and the food scene is is really good. Yeah, I've gone to a couple of restaurants and have been and been tremendously satisfied. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's it's got like funk to it. I yeah, don't know what it yeah, is. It's we like, have soul. It's it's it is it is a soulful city. It, yeah. And and I always thought of it merely as okay, like whatever, like politics. The downtown area is dead. Not yeah, true. Not true. I mean, I mean that is true. The downtown area is dead, but around the White House or whatever. But that's not where anybody hangs out. You hang out in these neighborhoods. Yeah. No. Even around the White House, there's some. You know. Um, I mean, like around the White House. But yeah, there there's there's soul there too. All you can't. DC is just such a it's such an incredible place with incredible people and history and and pride of people that have grown up here. So yeah. you feel it. Yeah, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm really ex- excited to be coming back. Um, cool. 
what where are we at here duration wise oh perfect 23 minutes everybody stay tuned we'll be right back all right hitting you up at the ad break here i got a couple to run through jones golf bags y'all made in portland these bags are uh they go back to the 70s. You're going to recognize these if you're older. And if you're not, you're going to be like, those look retro. They're awesome. Well, they are awesome. And they're also wonderfully priced. They also have some random golf club bags. Uh, we are getting a new bag up and running. So check back on the website for that. We're currently sold out of all the current bags that we have through Jones. Um, but stay tuned. You can sign up for the mailing list at randomgolfclub.com or head over to Jones Golf Bags. Follow them on Instagram, Jones underscore sports underscore co. They make the best bags in the biz. They've got dual straps, single straps. They probably have a triple strap. They've got stand bags. Um, they my One of the best is I like the original bag. I like the player series. I also like the Ranger or the Rover. One of the two. Either way, I love that bag. And I love the guys that make up Jones. Very proud to welcome a new sponsor to the Random Golf Club universe, that's Whoop. You may have seen me wearing a, quote, watch on my right wrist. That's not a watch, it's a Whoop strap, W-H-O-O-P, and they're offering uh, a discount. I don't quite know what it is. It could be 15%, I don't know. It's pro It could be more uh, if you use the code E-A-L. And um, my experience with this wonderful device, this wearable technology, is that it helps me get better sleep. It helps me understand the strain that I'm going through throughout the day, whether I'm you know, on the bike, it connects to my Peloton, or whether I'm just walking 18 holes of golf, which, by the way, actually is pretty strenuous. I didn't really realize that's why I need a nap in the middle of the day, folks, if I play a 6 a.m. round. Um, but definitely go check it out. They've obviously, you probably heard the news that they gave one out to every PGA Tour player because it actually has been proven to help identify um, you know, subtle, I guess, biometric changes in your body that could lead to uh, early um, uh, detection of COVID. So, you know, a lot of reasons to try this thing. A lot of athletes have been loving it, obviously, Rory and Justin Thomas. So check that out. TaylorMade, folks. TaylorMade is a family, and it's a team. They've been so generous with their staff players for the Ace Cam videos for us, and obviously the sim driver has changed my life. I can now I can drive the ball 7,000 yards and it actually it hits me in the in the butt. It goes so far, um, but definitely check out all of the things from TaylorMade. I love those guys. Vice, Vice, Vice. It's a golf ball. It's got style. It's got class. But even more importantly, it performs as good as the top performing balls for half the price. So check out the Vice commercials. You may have seen those. I don't know if you have. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. Um, we've got a random golf club ball coming out very soon. They're on a truck. I think we have, there's so many balls that they're bringing them in. I don't even know how they bring them in. They're probably not on a plane because it would weigh the plane down. I don't even know. Check up randomgolfclub.com for the vice balls coming up. Precision Pro. Also big news for Precision Pro coming soon. You've heard me talk about it. I think I can definitively say we're going to be launching this in the middle of August. The Random Golf Club Precision Pro Rangefinder comes with free battery replacement for life. It's got a magnet on it. We're going to get the NX9 with the RGC branding. And then all of the other rangefinders they make are wonderful. It's a wonderful family operation up there in Cincinnati. Great crew. Um, and then we have um, Standby. All right. Now I realize why I was stumbling is because... I didn't have what I needed to have to tell you about keeps, folks. Did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35? 
The best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair left. That's the key. They didn't underline that, but I'm underlining it for you. Get treated from home. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it easy and deliver your medication every three months so you can say goodbye to the pharmacy checkout lines, not fun during COVID, and awkward doctor visits. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You may have tried them before, but probably never for this price. Quite possible. Prevention is key. Keeps, Keeps treatments can take up to four to six months or more to see results, so it's important to act fast. Literally, press pause and get this. Uh, the sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. Huh. You're not even saving money. You're saving hairs. We're splitting hairs here, folks. Okay, sorry. No, stop. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors and nearly 100,000 men. Trust, that's a that's an army. That's an army, folks. 100,000 hairy men, by the way. They're hairy for sure. Um, Keeps, Keeps, Snowball. Snowball, you have enough hair. Relax. He's hypoallergenic, so he doesn't even lose it. It's like, come on, man. It's an embarrassment of riches over there, Snowball. It's all white, I know. But you, you were born with white hair. Okay, moving on. Keeps uh, their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatments starts at just $10 per month. Plus, $10 a month? That's a good deal. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. Required talking points. This is written in red. Use your talking points what to guide the narrative, but to put it in your own words. Whoops, too late for that. Uh, <laughs> Okay, I think we're good. Keeps.com, K-E-E-P-S.com slash Anders. That's my name, folks. That's how you get a discount. If you're ready to take action, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Anders to receive your first month of treatment free. That's ten bucks off, y'all. If they, if you do it for a year, that's eight percent. Quick math. Uh K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Anders. Um uh, we uh, oh, we do keep customer before and after photos. That's cool. There's our online. You can go look at customer before and after photos. Keeps.com. K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Anders. Bunch of other stuff that they told me not to do. Pretty sure I didn't do it. Anyway, much love to y'all. Check out Keeps.com and check out all of our other partners that support RandomGolfClub.com and go to RandomGolfClub.com to check out stories, merch, community, and more. Membership coming soon. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right. Um, so I think... Um one of the other things I love about D.C. that we didn't get to before the break was the golf. Yeah. The, the courses are incredible. Um, very exciting news. And again, I don't know when this podcast is going to go up, but you and I were talking before the podcast started about the National Links Trust and their involvement in now, you know, th- they've been approved to work on three golf courses, Langston, East Potomac, and what's the third? Rock Creek. Rock Creek. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to go visit East Potomac today. We played Langston yesterday with um, some members of the first tee and uh, the the new team at Howard. So exciting. It's all happening. It's all happening. 
I mean, it's just, it's what a time. Is, is, it, is it what a time to be alive? How could, yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to yes, what a time it is to be alive. Um, I would love to see what the history books say about this time. Um, you know, not even 100 years from now. Let's say 50 years from now because something is changing and I'm not sure I'm not sure where we're going but the the earth is is changing we're shaking quite a bit but in the golf in the golf world DC is has so much golf history um, particularly from the vantage point that I'm interested in which is from African-American history and I do think it's an exciting time to be a golfer in this area between what's happening with the three public courses here and that's really really important in terms of making golf accessible to its immediate community which I would say majority of uh, the black folks in DC are, are not golfers but um, should be and I think will be as these courses get nicer and they feel more invited and included into the industry um, but then there's also so many amazing private clubs around DC you know city swing here gonna we're gonna take over you know golf in the in, in urban areas and in urban cities so I think it's a really exciting time I'm excited for golf um, I think that I think that it is on the brink of having the opportunity to become more inclusive and inviting more people um, into the into this space that haven't traditionally seen themselves. You know, Harold Varner, Tiger Woods, obviously, um, Cheyenne Woods, Shasta. Like, there's so many. There's so many. Well, there's not so many. There's more than ever before. Okay, yeah. let's say it yeah. like that. There are a few more than ever before um, black people in the game that have the opportunity to get young kids excited. Good and bad that I've had half of those people on the podcast. Yeah, well, see, there you go. Here we go. Yeah. Well, you're creating your list of who comes next. Yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons why I really wanted to spend more time with you is we talked about a particular experience that you had and it struck me in a way that, um, you know, when we, when we started this podcast, we talked about the wonderful opportunity that, you know, my team and I have to be able to go around and pointedly ask meaningful questions and listen to the answers for the purpose of sharing that with others to learn. Um, you know, along those lines, we met and you, you, you've probably told the story dozens of times, mm -hmm. but it didn't feel that it felt it was very much the first time I had heard anything like it. And it's a story. If you're listening, I mean, of course you're listening. Otherwise you wouldn't be hearing this, but, um, it's a story about golf and, um, how golf basically, changed your life. And I'm, I am privy to that experience on a totally different, you know, track. Um, so yeah, tell me, you know, how, I don't even know how to ask you to walk into it other than just saying, uh, I'll just stop talking. Yeah, no, <laughs> it, it's, I want to correct you a little bit. I wouldn't say that golf changed my life. Um, I have two incredible parents that have created opportunities for me that I don't deserve, but that I'm taking full advantage of. They changed my life. 
golf, the, the reality is business is done on golf courses. Golf will help you advance your professional career if you can put yourself in a position to have the right conversations and to meet the right people. And the worst part about the golf industry is that it's very exclusive and not inviting. The best part about the golf industry is that to the same degree that it can be bad, it can be that good in terms of establishing a relationship. You hear the stories about the caddies that have, you know, young caddies that have gotten job opportunities by caddying for the right person. I mean, that is life changing. That is not something that other sports, I think, can can offer up. So for me, the story that you're that you're talking about is I often tell people that, and this is very, very true, that in professional settings, before I speak golf, um, I have often felt invisible to white male counterparts, um, mostly white males, just just to be honest, where in a professional setting, they um, I don't know how else to say it, Eric, except for I don't feel seen. I don't feel seen for with for the, you know, Harvard Business School. I've worked with Elon Musk. I've worked with Kevin Plank. I have an incredible resume. I really, really do. But if you don't take the time to find that out about me, um, I can come across quite invisible. I can just be another sort of black girl in the, org- in the organization. And I have found time and time again that, talking golf. Oh yeah, I played at Brookline Country Club or yeah, I played at Farm Neck on the Vineyard or um, I'm a member at Woodmore Country Club. Then people open their eyes. They, they, they pause and they're like, oh, you play golf? And then, yeah, I can, you know, I, I can drive this or I, I, my handicap is this. They then lean in a little bit more. And then when we can Um, bond over what it feels like to hit a great shot or, you know, a a funny golf story. They lean in a little bit more. Heaven forbid they ask me to play with them and we have a good time. The relationship is then established and I have automatically been imprinted in someone's mind that has, um, that is of an established level in an organization. And now I am very visible to that person. So, I don't want to. I don't want to say golf has changed my life. I want to say golf makes me visible to other races and other people that otherwise wouldn't see me. I, I'm curious to hear more about for for people listening. I would I would kind of like to describe the actual experience of not being seen. And and I guess the only one of the other experiences that I've heard someone tell me about is um, a girl friend of mine. Latin American um, worked in tech in San Francisco, and she was, um, you know, like a VP of sales or development. It was a relatively large job. And um, at events, uh, people would, you know, come up to her and say, you know, um, they they would think she was the caterer, absolutely, and and or the or the event planner, and, and you're the event planner. And she hated that because she was like, I'm I'm literally in charge of like. billions of dollars. I'm not the event planner. I didn't pick the stationery and the napkins. It happens all, it happens so much, Eric, (laughs) that it will be hard for me to pick out an experience to, um, to pick out one experience that illustrates it better than that one that you just gave me. 
I grew up in an all-white town. I grew up in Wellesley, Massachusetts. For a long time, my family and I were the only black people. And we had a nice house. And when people would come to the door and my mom would answer the door, they would ask her if she was the maid. It is, it, it is, and it has happened more than once. I've got several experiences in the professional world where I am leading a meeting and people will come in and think that I'm the caterer or that I am very low, you know, not the person that's leading the meeting. Biases are real. Um, here's another example, just, just because it may be the first time that you've heard this, but like one thing that my girlfriends and I always talk about is we are instantly labeled in a professional setting as angry black women. You have been around me long enough to see my personality. Um, I am not a yeller. I don't, I don't go off on people. I'm not even like a, you know, shaking your head, sister girl. Like I want more of that in me. I really do. Like I need, I need some more doses of of my blackness inside of me so I can get that right. But, um, (laughs) But I have had almost in every single job that I have worked with, I'm going to take that back, every single place that I have worked, someone has labeled me, oh, Tari, you seem very angry. Oh, you know, stop yelling, Tari. You are, you're, you know, you're getting out of line. And when I tell you, I know that I don't yell I am not angry. I may be serious and I may be talking to you like, no, we need to get this right. But it's not an angry black woman. So when I talk about being invisible or we talk about these biases, it is the automatic assumption about someone, even if that's not really what's playing out in real life. Does that make sense? Yeah. I liked your impersonation, though. Okay. I, thought, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> the finger snap was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. It's just, it's too big of a topic, really. Um, I, I, can we just go somewhere? Yeah, okay, let's it's, go. it's not, it's let's not go. exciting. Okay. Uh, Lewis Myers and I went for a walk yesterday morning. Okay. Love Lewis. Lewis is the, uh, he's a senior staffer for, I don't know the name of the representative from the Virgin Islands. Uh, he's been on the Hill for eight years and uh, loves golf. And he began a thing called the Congressional Golfers Association, which is a way to, you know, get uh, a lot of different people into the game of golf. But that's not what I want to talk about right now. We walked by the Capitol and I looked at it and I said, that is a very strange building. Mm-hmm. It's a strange building, isn't it? It's gorgeous from the outside. Yeah. yeah. yeah we didn't go inside. Okay. Do you know what he told me when I said it was a strange building? What's that? Can you guess what he told me? We're walking by and we're talking about golf and we're talking about race. We're talking about being black. We're talking about being white. And I looked at this Capitol building and I said, that's a strange building. Do you know what he said? He said, you know who built it? No. Who? Slaves. Yeah. And then on top, there's a statue. What's it called? Some something to do with freedom. The woman. The irony. Yeah, the woman statue, bronze that's been, um, you know, iodized or whatever. You know, green. It's green now. And I was pissed. I was like, "What? <laughs> Burn it down!" And honestly, you may hear this, and you may be like, "Wow, I can't listen to Eric's podcast anymore." But I'm beginning to feel like if you're not totally upset. You just literally haven't been paying attention. 
You're just, you're just, I mean, you can't, you have not put yourself in anyone else's shoes. And it's completely absurd. Because here we are, well, you know, iconography is one thing to take down a Teddy Roosevelt statue because he's sitting next to a Native American and a, and a black man. And it subjugates the race. But, I mean, at what point are you just like, everything's, everything in this country is messed up. I mean, do, do you go there or can you not? Do you have to basically say, I can't turn down that street? Because it's just, it's too, systemic racism doesn't really even describe what it is. It's just a worldview at some point. And then you have all of these people that have been kind of chiming in on, and we talked about the difference between my Instagram, which is a relatively loving and, and equal place. But then you've got, you know, around the rest of the world is not a lot. And I've been seeing more and more people saying like, and even myself, in the beginning, saying, yeah, I mean, like, I'm not racist. It's fine. But I go to dinner, look around my table, four white dudes. Look around the restaurant, 50 white people. Look at the check, it's 250 bucks. Okay. You know, look around myself on the plane. Everybody's white, sitting in the front. Look around at the golf course. I can't see anyone that doesn't look like me, really. I'd have to look pretty hard, and then probably they'd have a name tag. And, like, I'm thinking everything's fine. Everything's fine. We've legally solved the problem. Amazing. And and I got I to gotta keep going. I'm sorry. Because yeah. I'm just in shock. And and it's really, it's been an up and down process, really, over the past several weeks of being like, I don't want to clean my room. I just can't do it. Um, I'm going to burn the house down. This is terrible. Fuck everybody that's involved in this. Like this, there's no way to fix it. Or, and then just like complete apathy. Like I can't do it. And then talking to you. And that's the highlight for me. I need you to take that feeling and to just create the empathy for black people in this country. If you are feeling that, right? I need you to approach these conversations with like how must they be feeling? And I and 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 I just want that because I I want people to understand the anger and the the dis, the, the lack of hope um, that people have been feeling before pro, now and prior to a lot of this being being publicized, right? That's where it comes from. It is absolutely it is absolutely where it comes from. Now, one of the most amazing things about black people is all we know how to do is love. That has been our reality for so long from our ancestors, ancestors, you know, um, from the beginning of the folks that built this country, like Lewis said, literally built this country. They have had no choice but to learn how to love throughout these incredibly disgusting circumstances that they have lived through. And it is in black folks spirit to love. And so as angry as we are, I can't think about, I, I can't go where you've gone um, because I would be too angry and I'm already labeled a angry black woman. And so that's not, that's not helping me. Yeah. So I don't go there, but I am 
ecstatic. I am excited that you feel that way. I'm sorry if it's, you know, shaking your entire world, but that's how I kind of want you to feel. I, I want I want your world to be turned upside down to the point where you are looking around and constantly thinking about race and seeing there's nothing but white men on your team. There's nothing but, you know, all of the black people that you're seeing at this golf course have a name tag on. I want you to notice that. And you don't have to do anything right now, but pretty soon I want you to not be one of those people that just talks about it. I want you to be one of those people that actually um, puts action behind it. And that's how I judge people. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. The reason I can have hope is because I am trying to sort through who is just talking the talk right now and who is going to put change behind these emotions that are surfacing, bubbling to the top for them. So did that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a lot to be so angry about. I mean, that George Floyd video, let's just go there. The 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 police brutality that has been put on camera for all of us to see is heart wrenching and it's heart wrenching because growing up in an all white town, we lived it as a family. I remember from my high school graduation, my dad made me go to the Wellesley police um, station before I had my party and tell them I'm having a party. You know, there may be some other black kids that come into the town. We're going to have the music off, but we're going to turn it off by the time the sound ordinance, you know, by the time we have to, per per Wellesley uh, rules. I had to go around to all my neighbors and to let them know that this was going on. And that's because we were trying to get ahead of any problems. Right. And and so, you know, we, we, we all live it. We all have have stories. I've got many that are much worse than this, but, um, I'm excited for, I'm excited for you to feel a little uncomfort, (laughs) discomfort. Well, and actually I'm changing a battery in one of the GoPros. If you're listening to this podcast and you want to see it, check out me and Tari on YouTube. I'm I'm just going to change this GoPro battery. I want to say that, um, after Lewis and I were talking about the hill, and he told me who built it, and I started to get pissed. And he said, yeah, you know, but at the same time, like, I got to pinch myself because this is incredible. And I thought I would be I would be wanting to pinch someone else, to be honest with you, <laughs> like, like very hard. I, I don't know. I just, I just, like, you know, I think a lot of it is, it's got multiple phases as well. Like, it's got this one weird phase where, this might sound really terrible. Uh, let me just make sure this is recording. Yeah, okay. Yeah, check it out on YouTube if you're watching, if you're listening. Um, the the I'm a visitor here in this story. You know, and that's one of the hard parts too. And and the, and the strangest thing is, it's like I guess the the one of the weirdest parts is that we're all we've all inherited someone else's mess both sides everybody is is born relatively new to this situation and especially by the time we're dead 50 years you know like we're it's like and no other country has this problem am i right is is, i'm trying to think about i don't know much about the world but i don't know any other country that has this problem 
like to this degree with this level of, you know, architecture, quite literally? Uh, I don't know that I agree with that 100%. I think the very obvious one to me is South Africa, right? And that in the Soweto uprising, you can learn about that in the, in the, um, another very segregated country for many, many years. And similar to kind of like a time like this, the students of Soweto formed protests and several of them, several hundred of them lost their lives, but they were determined to, I think, I think if I'm getting my history correct, the they wanted to teach Afrikaans, um, which was the language, right? Right. Um, in, for lack of better words, the, the black schools. And uh, the students very, with great perception, understood that that was going to be a way to keep them down, taking their native language. It's kind of like the desegregated segregation conversation that we were having earlier, um, learning the white man's language, learning the using the white man's uh, textbooks is a way to actually keep the black people down and to train them to think a certain way. And so those students stood up and several of them lost their lives. And, um, you know, South Africa has obviously moved forward uh, to try to right some of that. But I think there are other places in the world. The brown experience in the world is is understood by brown folks everywhere. You could talk about Aborigines and that community in Australia. I think um, we just need to look at all of the all of the different countries. And because it's so related to classism and it's so related to who built the country versus who benefited from those that built the country, I think this, not to this degree, but I, I think this story can, we can, we can find other stories like this elsewhere. I agree. I, I still contend though, that the, the threefold problem is to, you've got, you've got skin color, you've got the way you look, there's one. And that's just sort of whether it's a brush, whether it's a snub, I don't know whether it's no, we don't have any upgrade seats available. Who knows? Right. A, a white guy with dreadlocks might get the same treatment, but you know, like, that's just a, that's one thing. Then you've got money, right? We talked about the difference between the two subways by Langston Golf Course. $75,000 yearly income average difference between these two subway stops that straddle the golf course. The first he was John and Katie were telling us about that yesterday. And that was, you know, one other aspect of it, right? Is that opportunity. And, and it sounds like you're more in that category. You had the opportunities. But it didn't really change too much. It changed. It changed a lot. It changed a little bit. I mean, and then you've got this third thing, which is just this like incredible structural, you know, problem of opportunity. And and I mean, I mean, I mean not. I don't know where to go. I just you know, I just th- this is this is every day right now. It's like just sort of like I run around in circles. I get confused, upset, sad, maybe inspired for a little bit and then just kind of fall asleep and wake up tired. Well, don't, don't stay there for too, too long. Um, I think you got to feel this moment. I think you got to, you know, struggle with your feelings a little bit and, but maybe give yourself a week and then decide what you're going to do about it. Uh, so, I don't need it. I can just 20 minutes is fine. Okay. I mean, we're gonna 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. 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 What, what are we, I think it's, I think what what I'm, the reason why it? I'm saying that is that uh, 
the, the, this podcast is really one of the only ways where I feel actually safe enough to talk to a group of people in the public about how I really feel. And they will not know any of this stuff by watching an episode or by seeing a photo on Instagram, right? I mean, you, you, y'all are, you know, you know me. You've heard me talk about a lot of things. I, I'm having a hard time being totally transparent and authentic these past few weeks. And the truth is, yeah, I have stopped posting a lot of things because I just, I don't really know what to say. I think you're doing it though, Eric. Like, if if nothing else, if someone, one of your listeners stops the next time they're at a golf course and looks around and sees that it's all white people and thinks, and there's a, a, a question of like, oh, maybe this is what white privilege is, you know? Or if someone is on the airplane in first class and only sees white people, like, oh man, like, you know, it's 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 not because there's not enough black people out there that make enough money to be in first class. You know, it, that's not it. Yeah. Because um, population wise, do you know the numbers? Is it? I don't know the numbers off the top of my head now. It's 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 got to be pretty close. I mean, I'm pretty sure if you if when you when you mix Latin American and African American, Caucasian is outnumbered by a lot. Absolutely, right now it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is the irony in That's all so of this, strange. right? It's um, in order for we have been taught to think that white people are better and take up more space. We have taught been taught to shrink and to be small and to not recognize the the power in in numbers. Quite frankly, because that point is just very true. Well, and what's crazy is when you say we've been taught. It's, I agree with you. And the sad thing is, is I can't find the references. I'm looking for the bibliography. I can't find it. I don't know where the book is. I don't know. What, I didn't read an article that said white people are better. I don't remember reading that, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And I don't understand where it happened. Was it a Norman Rockwell painting? <laughs> what was it? It was, let me tell you what it was. I, in my opinion, it was the fact that if you had been stopped for having a counterfeit $20 bill in a convenience store, someone probably would have given you some grace and said, oh yeah, you know, maybe you didn't know. And you take that experience and you say the next time this happens, someone may not know. Um, it is the fact that you have on a very subconscious level been given the opportunity to live because someone thinks will give you a pass and my skin color has demonized me and my people to the point where people are scared the first the first assumption is the negative assumption the the first um, belief is something dangerous and so over time, that is how we are taught. I mean, black cat, black devil, um, snow white, white as snow, white dolls. For me, it was the dolls growing up. I had no black dolls. And so my sense of beauty was all about 
whiteness and all of the white girls with blonde hair. My mom will tell you when I was young, I was like, how can I get blonde hair? I just really want blonde hair. And that's because that's all that I saw and what I thought was beautiful. So it is, the book is very blatant, yet we're not reading it as a book. You know, we're learning from it every second of every day. It's just, to your point, we don't know that we are. It's like immersion therapy. It's immersion. You're just looking at images and you're reading um, um, metaphors, kind of. Yeah. Can I read you something? Yeah. I, um... I didn't really know how to respond to this, but I thought. It's interesting. So I posted a photo of me in front of the White House, location tag Black Lives Matter Plaza. I wrote as the caption, about to film the intro to the most important episode of Adventures in Golf we've ever done. Blackheart. Didn't really say anything. Said nothing, basically. And I, um, <clears throat> there were a couple, there were actually a couple comment threads that I had to, uh, I, that I did, I got engaged with a little bit and I responded and I ended up deleting them actually because I just was like, this is not productive. And I'm not even, yeah, I mean, I'm very careful. Okay. I'm not trying to be like, hey, yeah. get off my page. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, welcome. Mm-hmm. Please read it. I hope it makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. If it makes you uncomfortable, I'm doing my job and, you know, you have a little bit to learn. Um, there's this one comment though that really kind of set me off and I still haven't changed it. Oh boy. And now there's a restricted comment. I've started restricting certain people because I just can't, I don't want, I don't want what they're saying to be kind of out there. I don't, I've been editing. I've never thought I'd do that. So anyway, this one person says, um, I, I am from the South, 74 years old, not a single racist in my extended family of 50. My parents taught us well. In my circle of friends, there are no racists. I know very well that racism exists. I have always tried to treat every person fairly and minorities even more fairly. However, I am growing tired of being beat over the head with a slogan that no reasonable person disagrees with. So far, everything he said I can't argue with. It's true. Signal journaling whites. Is that SJW? Is that what it is? Signal Signal journaling whites. So I don't know. I guess he's calling me that. Are (laughs) cool. Good talk. SJWs are unnecessarily pissing everyone off. Come up with a way to effectively deal with the issue and stop lecturing 99% of those that agree with you, please. So I found this really interesting because here's a person who maybe was like me. Hey, look, I agree with you, man. Chill the fuck out. Right? Like, I'll, we're all good. Look, Dave Chappelle, really funny guy. He's been talking about racism. We're fine. He's funny. He makes me laugh. I get it. I watch it. Right? Like, this guy is, like, almost part of a, the, the, he's, like, the problem. I'd rather have someone who's, like, fuck black people. They're stupid. Me too. I would almost rather have someone. I'd much rather that too. Right? Because this middle person Who's kind of like, it's, everything's fine. Stop talking about it. It's dangerous. That's the dangerous one, right? That's the asymptomatic, right? Yeah. You said it earlier where it's like, if you don't feel like you want to 
burn the place up as a white person. Like if you are not enraged with the things that you're seeing and you're learning, you probably haven't really uh, understood where we are in this moment right now. You can't help but not be angry to see and understand and have some of this stuff revealed. So I agree with you. I think that's a very dangerous comment. I think it's... um, a dangerous perspective. Um, but I think there are a lot of people still there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's one of the ironic things is we've seen COVID immediately like flip practices and protocols for so many businesses and lives, right? Like all of a sudden every golf course is like, Oh, okay. 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 We're going to put foam in the cup, you know, a little sticker tape on the ground. Don't come inside. Uh, foods only to go. Okay. Everything's changed. Meanwhile, it's like I have so many other problems with golf, like so many other real things that I would like to see change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good luck. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, so it's like it's so exciting in a sad, sad, terrible and tragic way that, you know, a man lived his life merely to die for a reason in an accidental manner uh, that's basically operating as the same you know, worldwide reason to re-examine how we behave, but not from a germ standpoint, but more from just like an ethical standpoint. And um, um, it feels like change is really at our fingertips. But when I read, like you said, dangerous, that comment is really dangerous. It really, it really makes me feel like the people who are like, I don't need a mask, high five. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody's saying you need a mask. Everybody's saying you could die. You're 74. You could literally die. But you're saying it's not a problem. I, I hear you. Preach. That's right. I, I, you said it very, very well. Um, I don't have anything else to add except that we got to keep talking. Like, we just got to keep talking about it. People got to keep recording these police brutality situations. We've got to understand how um, we're talking about it in the realm of the police, but how it also happens in corporate environments. Um, but it's just not recorded. We got to talk about the history of systemic racism and the biases and how it is has its thumbprint on every aspect of life whether it's who is on your team, who are you hiring, who are you giving scholarships to, who are you inviting into this sport, how are you going out of your way to address this problem? We, you know, we, we just got to talk about it. From communication, we get exposure. From exposure, we can invite more people into the experience. I think from the experience, we change. And just going back to City Swing, that is my mantra, like we are going to create change in the golf industry by merely addressing some of these things head on and saying, we we are for avid golfers. We are for the most traditional target golf consumer, and we're going to meet your needs with our TrackMan technology and making sure you have the opportunity to get better. But we're going to use the money that we make from this company, and we're going to go invite a bunch of little brown kids to come in and learn how to play the game. We're going to teach them how to be caddies. We're going to make sure that they have the tools that they need to put their lives on different trajectories 
trajectories by the people that they will surround themselves with. And that's what I mean. You don't have to change the world by doing something outside of your circle, but where in your circle, Eric, where in your life can you make little change? And if we all make little change, we're going to drown out those comments and those people um, like the ones that you just read. Yeah. You know, what's funny is we, we talked with a, a, a gentleman who I have not met in person yet, but I've spent time talking to Matthew Kennard. Um, sounds like he grew up really close to you, actually, in Massachusetts. And um, he's, a, he's an African-American gentleman, lives in San Antonio now, and um, w- was already kind of, um, you know, tuned into what we were doing. And um, when we first started, uh, you know, commenting and, and, and supporting the movement um, on the Monday after George Floyd was murdered, mm-hmm. which I believe was on a Friday, um, Matt and I got connected through, through messaging. And um, we were um, talking about a lot of different things. And, you know, one of the things that we, we kind of talked about, we, we, I, we, we had a podcast, which went really well. And then, and then, um, then I invited him to come talk to my entire team. So we had a zoom call with everybody, you know, my business partner, our editor, our social media manager, our producer. And so we were all, and, and there was really no syllabus. There was no itinerary. We just talked for an hour and, um, we came away with some really interesting takeaways and to be, I'll tell you what they are. Okay. Yeah. I want to know. Totally transparent. And they've already started impacting my life. Okay. And, and therefore everyone's life who's, you know, tuned into what we do. And, um, one of them was, as he said, well, you know what I, we random golf club is our brand and it's really about meeting, you know, you know, connecting people through golf is our you know temporary mission statement. Yours is pretty good though. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and you know, but but so it's a, and it's always about and, and and for years we've had the emojis on the Instagram page is is white finger pointing down transcending to the darkest finger pointing down. So okay. just to, to 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 everybody go to this link. Everybody check out. And um, you know, we've we've always been about inclusivity. But when you look at the uh, people that show up to a random golf club event, in some cases it's 100 people, most are like Eric, right? Like, like, like way most. Yeah. Like one or two girls, women, mm-hmm. um, one or two people of color. Mm-hmm. And I always said, uh, you know, people would say, are women invited to the random golf club events? I say, yeah, of course. I don't know. They just don't show up. Mm-hmm. And that's not really good enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's what Matt told me. That's what he didn't even say that really, but that's what I realized is it's like, <clears throat> you know, like, and then Matt said, you know, when I look at all the random golf club media, whether it's videos or photos or whatever, it's mostly white people. Uh, you know, it's like, is it really random golf club? Cause it doesn't really look like it. It looks like it's kind of just like white people golf club. <laughs> And the idea that I played golf yesterday with a college athlete, going to play golf, Everett, and Everett said, you know, yeah, it's hard to, uh, it's, it's hard to think that I can go play golf if there's no one out there that looks like me on the tour. 
So Harold Varner was a big inspiration for me. And I don't know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I just don't. Everywhere I go, someone looks like me in a place that I want to go to. Yeah. Anthony Bourdain. Right? There's no, there's, no, there's no black version of Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Where are they? Yeah, or whatever it is. Wherever it is. And so we've realized that we basically need to, like, push harder on on basically making everybody actually feel welcome rather than just saying it. Yeah, because you know what? They are out there. They are out there. Yeah. But we may have to go find them initially. And then we have to support them. Yeah. And then we have to make sure that they have the tools that are necessary to not just be there, but to excel there. And... Yeah, and I mean, even so, so, and that's been the wonderful thing about including Matt in this, and really, I'd like to include you in it as well, as far as you know, location-wise, but also your experience in golf, specifically with the golf business. It's it it gets very interesting, especially as you know what we're trying to do is come up with like a diversity council, and really make sure that like, oh wait, did we actually do that? Did we, I don't think we actually did that. <laughs> we said we did it. We thought we did it. I mean, hey. We put a sign up. Isn't that enough? No. We abolished slavery. Isn't that enough? I thought I thought we said, it's over. Stop doing it. But it didn't change anything. Nothing. And so we realized that in some sense, without actually pushing in the opposite direction, standing still is essentially just, you're just as bad. You're that guy. You're the comment guy. You're the comment guy. That's right. So unless you're actually pushing the... F- Unless you're laying sandbags down, you are literally letting the flood come in. Amen. I want to take it one step further and say, by creating a more equitable, inclusive space for, let's just say, the black race, we are making the world a better place for white people, too. Yeah. It is, let me, let me say this in the realm of my business. Okay, because I've seen this firsthand. This is factual. When I create um, events and experiences that are targeted at black women who don't know how to play golf, I have created an event that makes it very comfortable, the format makes it very comfortable for a white male that knows that he needs to know how to play golf, but doesn't know how to play to come and learn as well. And then he can participate. So it's, it is inclusive, being inclusive, um, creating accessible spaces benefits everyone. Now I do think we need to target women, people of color, but by doing so, the byproduct of that is going to be helping everyone. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, and I've had that happen a lot. I have had more white guys come and be like, this is an amazing place to learn. And I can't tell you, like, my, my company outing next year, I never wanted to participate because I, you know, I don't know how to play. And I'm like, come on, we got you. We, we got you. We will get you there next year. You will be in Arizona with your, with your company. It's two different sides of the same coin, but it is, it is, um, there are similar feelings out there. I'm just, I'm just picturing, you know, 
just the nerdiest, oldest white dude coming in there and just having you this like you great friendship develop with you. And then nobody knows. He's, he's like, I mean, in, in, not in a bad way, but he's like, in a real like, way. He like runs into you at Whole Foods with like someone else, and he's like, Tari, hey, and they're like, who's Tari? And you're like, it's my golf coach. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I go to her business. Exactly. Yeah, it's sad that that only exists in movies, really. You know, like know. for now. For now, because it exists, we're just not seeing it. We need people to produce that movie. Yeah. Um, but anyways, back to what you were saying. I'd love to be on your diversity council. That'd be great. Um, I, 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 again, just to stress the point, there are some incredible young black girl golfers out there right now. There are, we are, we are here. We are in the golf industry. We love it. There's amazing black businesses. You know, you know, you, you know this, you've met people. We just need to, I would, I would ask those of your listeners out there to, if they are interested, to support by just learning our stories, learning more about the professional golfers. I mean, something that's been very interesting to me is the number of African Americans that are on the amateur tour or trying to get to the amateur tour, but aren't quite making it to the professional ranks, why? We know black folks are athletic, right? We, <laughs> we know we know we can play. We you know, know I've we heard can that. hang. I've heard that. Exactly. Where have I heard that before? But where are they? <laughs> and 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 there's a reason why. It's 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 expensive and college golf is not really that there's a problem with college golf. Isn't there? I think they're too small or something. Uh well, look, I think there's a problem with college golf. I think that the, the fact that it's expensive um, to, to be an amateur golfer is extremely expensive. and I, I think even more than that, though, it's probably too difficult culturally. It's too much of a big step for a young black man or boy or girl to basically say, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to go hang out with the whites. In fact, because the other version is like, no, go play ball. And I will not only get a good workout. That's fine. I'll not only potentially create a scholarship situation for myself, but I'll also grow my own community. I will also I will also reinvest in my friends, and you know that that's a real thing. Like I don't really want to go do things where I'm not going to, you know, create long lasting relationships. One hundred percent. It sounds terrible. It sounds lonely. It's extremely lonely. I think yeah. that's a great word. Like honestly, as I look at the face of it, I'm like, why why would you do that? It's extremely lonely. So, so what you're what you're pointing to is how layered this is, right? But we've got to support people at all aspects. Um, those that are trying to make it, those that have said it's extremely lonely, but I'm going to go anyways. We got to support them. We got to know that it's lonely for them and understand how we give them a helping hand to support them. For those uh, younger ones that are like, you know what, I'm going to go towards basketball, not golf, because there's more of me over here. How do we embrace and create a community around them? Um, this is particularly important to me with black girls because there's even fewer of those. And you're right. If you're a 13, 14 year old girl, you're not going to do something that is just really uncomfortable, even if you really love it. So black girls golf out there, they, you know, Tiffany's doing an amazing job putting communities of girls together so that they can rise through the ranks together. That's, that's the type of, um, Thing I hope to see more of and certainly what I want City Swing to be doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, to 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 do the yin yang, right? Like I wouldn't 
like if there was a little sport played in Harlem that maybe was something I would really like, I'm probably not going to go. Yeah. I'm not going to go do it. And and honestly, I'm like, the first thing I need to do right now is just like go into the blackest neighborhood there is and just walk around. And you know what the fucking first thing I think of is? What? Think, guess. I don't know. Is it safe? Is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you would think that. I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> it, I, it, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, should I or I would? You don't know. It's uh, hard to say. No, I think you would. You would. But I necessarily shouldn't. Look, let, let me just say something about this. I mean, what would happen? No, no, no. Let me, let me, let's, stop, let's pause on this for a second. And I hope I don't lose my black card for this. But biases are not biases are not the problem being going into a neighborhood and and saying should i feel safe or not like that is not necessarily the problem let's let's use cars right we don't all have to like yellow cars we don't all have to i don't i don't need us all to view the world the same way what i need is for you to not have more power in this world because you look a, a certain way or because you like yellow cars versus red cars. That doesn't make you more right, more worthy, um, a better person than me. So I'm okay with bias. Bias is preference. Preference is okay. Um, I don't even, preference is okay. It is the underlying um, ability to keep someone down or to raise someone up based on those preferences. That's where I think the problem is. I really want us to, and if I'm on your diversity council, I want to say no more band-aids. We can't, we can't have bullshit conversations anymore. We got to rip it off and talk about things let's get real let's talk about the truth it is okay for me to have more black friends than white friends that may be my preference it is not okay for me to walk around saying every white person is a racist i i, I don't think that is, but that is my belief it is not okay for you to think all black people are going to have the same perspectives as tari um on this podcast because there are a number of different perspectives and preferences amongst different black people Right. Yeah. Do you understand the point that I'm making? Yeah, yeah. 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 So go into that black neighborhood. Say you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Be honest about your feelings, but stay there and talk to someone and maybe put yourself in an even more uncomfortable position. Listen to that person's story. And then look, it may be a crazy person, just like you find a crazy person in the white community, you know, in the white hood. But it also could be someone with some rich history and some rich soul and, and you could learn a lot of wonderful things. And then you have taken action behind the words and the feelings that you've been feeling. Yeah. Well, we did good. I feel like I've known you for much longer than what is it? 37.5 hours. It's not, it's not been too long, but <laughs> we've used our time wisely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the podcast does that. The, the, the interviewing process does that. You really, the, it's, it's, um, and, and that's, that's, um, it's, it's this two sided coin. It's invigorating. It's exciting. It's, it's little, it's life caffeine, but it's also like, it, it's, it's, it's so exhausting in a real good way. Yeah. 
I want to thank you for, for, I found myself feeling a little bit hopeless and being a little bit pessimistic about the world. Um, but this conversation gives me hope. Really? It, it does because we, I don't believe we can make change without having these types of conversations on a one-on-one -on -one level. There's some really important people doing some great protesting out there. There are some really important people on Capitol Hill like Lewis that are making sure conversations are happening there, but it is the one-on-one -on -one conversations with people like you that remind me we got to keep pushing forward. These conversations matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a shingle. You just have to keep doing it. One, not one shingle, hundreds. I mean, if you look at the world, how billions, billions, billions. Yeah. And, um, I'm sorry. You've been feeling hopeless. Yeah. It's, it's, you don't strike me as a person who would, I, it, it, and, and that's what makes it even harder. But, um, it, the, you want to know where the hopelessness comes from? It comes from the fact that I don't know if better days lay ahead. I don't know as much as I want to believe because these conversations are happening. I know how often, how many other George Floyds out there there are, but they just weren't recorded. And is that really going to change? And how does that type of brutality translate into corporate America? And how does it translate into the education system and, and all the other places? And is that really going to get addressed? That's where my hopelessness comes from. But my hope comes from my white friends, my white brothers and sisters that are talking about this man. I have been, I saw a really cute tweet the other day or, or Instagram that was like, I'm tired of being the one black friend <laughs> because everybody <laughs> wants to have the conversation, yeah. but I am, I, I'm here for it. It actually, in a weird way, is helping me heal through some of this trauma that we're all going through. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, there, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. Well, let's keep talking. You, you know, the this is funny actually, not funny. It's sad, but the, the, this during this conversation actually was one of the first times that I had a glimpse. You know, when you're talking, you're thinking about other things, unfortunately, and sometimes what you're thinking is like images. You see pictures for me. Yeah. Um, that's actually the way I usually remember what I want to ask you to follow up or whatever. And um, did you ever see, not the movie, but the show Watchmen? No. I had to stop watching it because it's so graphic. Um, but it's on HBO. And I think I'm going to watch it again. Do you know what the subject matter is? I don't. It's like a dystopian inverted racial universe. Okay. So the opening scene is a white man in a pickup truck being pulled over by a black police officer. Okay. And the police officer sees something in the glove box that's closed as he approaches the car and he is aware that that is a sign of a racist member of society. And so the, the black police officer goes back to the car, his police car, and he says... And his and his gun is secured in a in a locked holster in the car, and he radios to the 
operator and he says, I'm requesting access to my gun. I have a man pulled over, a suspect, and he has a mask. It was a mask. Mask would come to mean basically a member of the KKK or some version of that. And he's got a mask. And they say, it's like a, it's almost like a digital operator maybe. And it's like request denied. And the, and the cop, you know, late mid thirties, strong black dude. Mm-hmm. Can I get the gun? He's like the gun, re, re, please release the gun. And the, and then I think then maybe they do release the gun. And it doesn't, there's like a glitch. It like doesn't get free. Okay. And as he's trying to get the gun out in the front seat of the cop car, he's shot by the driver in the, the, by, the by the police, by, by the, um, the, the, the suspect, the person who's pulled over. And then it goes into this entire world of a, a community of angry whites that are, that are upset with this elevated black society that product of so many things. Reparations is one of them. And I read an article about reparations the other day. And uh, I thought, well, yeah. Yeah, we should be doing that. Absolutely. Like, like you can trillions of dollars just totally like stolen lit on fire uh, you know swept under the rug and as we were talking today I did flash forward to the year 2070 in my head and Mm -hmm. I just thought what if it's worse like what if it's worse like what if you have you ever just thought I'm just gonna leave I just wanna go to like Virgin Islands Oh, Bahamas. Abs- I, where can I get dual citizenship has yeah. gone through my mind several times recently. The sad part is, is that you're not doing what the captain of the ship would do. Mm-hmm. But you do, but it's, it's, it's sort of like a rock and a hard place. It is a rock and a hard place, but um, I don't want to be a coward in my life. I, I'm, I'm, I'm having some very coward like feelings right now where I want to isolate myself and shrink and, and not do my part, but that's not how I want to live. And so I want to be a part of this change movement. The, the worst thing for me in my life is to have to potentially look my grandkids in the face one day and be like, I did nothing. Didn't do anything. Just sat by. That, that is worse to me than if nothing changes by 2070 than saying, you know what, I, 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 I've been in it. I tried my best. I tried my best. I, I did what I thought was the right thing to do at every step of the way. And um, that's all I can focus on right now. I can't stand by. Um, I got to do it my way. I got to do my part my way. And for me, that's city swing right now. I was just going to say. I was just going to say. It is. It's the shingle. One of the inspirations for city swing was when those four black women or five black women in Pennsylvania got arrested for playing golf too slow. That was around the same time when the idea was percolating. I was pulling together my business plan. That was 2018, and we launched City Swing in July of 2018. So that had happened, I want to say, in April, May-ish. And Arrested. The cops called on them. They didn't get arrested. Why why were the cops... (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I remember the story. They're it's, playing it's, too slow. Some, it's someone sad didn't, that it's they comical. They didn't even call the starter. They didn't call Police. the. They didn't call the the head of the golf club. Yeah. They called the police. Is, we need to let that sink in. They don't really have much to do with pace of play. I think. That's fucked. Mm-hmm. I actually think, in some ways, this this perfect storm, George Floyd, obviously big big catalyst. I think actually the week before the the dog walker. Oh my gosh! I thought that was really that was perfect timing. Watching birds. He's African American, and he's yelling at me. He's black. Weaponized skin color. Weaponized her skin color. She was able to do that within a half a second. That I'm so glad you brought that up. It is, it is so scary how quickly that situation unfolded and where instantaneously her mind went. Yeah. To protect herself. Yeah, it's dangerous, dangerous guy. Can you tell he's very dangerous? And the he's poor wearing copy. shorts. I know. He's got white socks and black shoes. I'm very scared of this man. What's the law? Are we not allowed to film police interactions? Because they say stop filming. Are you are they really allowed to tell you to stop doing that? I don't think they're allowed to. First Amendment. I mean, I don't think they're allowed to tell you to do that. I don't care. Keep filming. <laughs> I mean Oh, look. did you know did you know about Hey Siri? No. I'm getting pulled over. And did you know it? No. <laughs> Holy shit. But I could search the web for it. Oh, I must not have it enabled. But hey, Siri, I'm getting pulled over. It'll it'll stop doing everything. It'll record the interaction. It'll disable all incoming calls. And um, I'm here for that. I'm yeah, here for it's that. Been, it's actually been around for two years. Okay. But we, but it's obviously now's it's time to shine. Now's it's time to shine. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm here for it. I also. We, we got to record, we got to expose, but I also want to shout out the good cops out there yeah. because, um, For sure. they, I, I know some and I, and, and they are struggling right now and I feel bad for, for what they're going through, but at the same time we got to, we got to record. I don't really feel that bad for them because I, I feel, I, I will feel bad if, I mean, it's tough because you've got Thomas, the fourth cop in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, right? You know, talk, you know, talking about the rookie. Yeah. He said something twice. Are you aware of this? Yeah. He twice he said, eh, do you want to turn him over? You want you sure you don't want to turn him over? And at that point, if he had intervened physically, he would have gone to jail. Which would have been a very different outcome that would have obviously been better than the current outcome, but maybe not. Right? I mean so and but it's already threatening insubordination, which is like suspension. Why would he want to do that? So now we've got an opportunity where, you know, you're you're fully guilty if you don't intervene is what is what's starting to happen. So I don't feel bad for those cops <laughs> at all. I don't feel and bad either. I I do think that when someone is losing their life, if your uh, job is to protect and to serve, you pull another cop off of them. You, you, you make your voice heard. It's just like me in corporate America. If I feel that a company is doing something unethical, um, either I speak up about it or I leave that company. You, 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 must, have, you must have sort of wondered at a breath, like they're just in the same way that um, the black community has its own kind of um, 
you know, uh, shorthand of experiences, right? Like, you know what it's like to get pulled over. You know what it's like to have the talk with your parents. You probably, there's probably dozens of other things that you just know about that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. That I would need to be explained to me. Mm -hmm. Cops must have the same thing. They, they must, right? They, there must be, like, we need to find a cop. Because there must be some version of it where it's like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, another brother down, something like that. You know what I mean? Like, there must be some type of desensitization to what's actually happened in the same way that I guess when you hear a story so many times, you just sort of, I don't know. I mean, I think what we're seeing is there the same bias that exists in the world exists in the police force, right? And so when you say a cop saying another man down, you're talking about another person losing their life or another cop going to jail. Which one did you mean? I said another brother down as though another African-American man killed by a cop and they don't care. They, they, they are so used to it because I the see. amount of times that it's on camera is smaller than the amount of times it's off camera. Right. Right, that we know. For and facts. they're used to it. And the truth is, they have already in the same, and good cops, fine, good cops, fine, but they've already taken an oath that says that we're going to protect and serve, but sounds like they're going to protect and serve the people that look like them. Oh, yeah, for sure, Eric, no doubt. And, and it's easier to just kill somebody than it is to be potentially killed. Yeah, and, I mean, with the situation in Atlanta, it's like, you feel threatened by someone that doesn't have a weapon, that's pointing a taser at you that can't reach you, that is intoxicated, that has left their car with their license plate in their keys, has nowhere to go but to walk. You feel so threatened that you have to kill them in the back, shoot them in the back. Where is the... Oh, he's walking. Let me let him go. I will get him. I will get him. I will arrest him. Another, even if it's another day, we will find him. But right now, I don't need to take this man's life. Where is it with George Floyd? There are four of us. It was a counterfeit $20 bill. Like, we do not need to be having our knee on his neck for almost nine minutes. Like, Yes to what you said, but times 10. It's times 10. What, what about no interracial policing? Is that possible? Um, I, wouldn't, I would say police should come from the communities that they live in. Right? That would be cool. Wouldn't that be cool? They would know each other. They would know each other. They would not feel threatened. You, you don't feel threatened by someone that you know from your community. Yeah, they would have an invested interest. And it would almost be more like a mentor thing. Like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? Exactly. And right. Get back in your car. Go home. Yeah. You're driving. You've had a drink. Whatever it is. Instead of it's like, well, now you're going to go to jail. I mean, it's just like, whoa. I, I, I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm talking about, obviously. Um, but that would be interesting. Because I could see if it was, if it, if, if. Because, I mean, really, the woman in Central Park is the same as the cop. There's a man with a counterfeit bill, and he's black. You gotta, you got to contain this man. That's disgusting. You've got to contain him. And it's like, what? No, you just, you just, you just got to see if he's making counterfeit bills at his house, and then just, he's not. Like, he's not. Right. I've had a counterfeit bill before. I didn't know. Me too. How do you know? You don't. Nobody knows. You don't. 
And it's a $20 bill at a convenience store. The weirdest part is watching, um, you know, the police as a media company. That's the hard one. Here's what happened, everybody. Oh, this just in. Uh, that's not what happened. <clears throat> so now here's what really happened. That's why we got to keep filming. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a, we, we, can't, we can't trust that they're going to tell the truth or um, we can't hold them accountable without, without the videos, yeah. unfortunately. Look, the, the, the police culture is toxic. And so um, and it, and it needs to be reformed as it seems like it is going to be yeah. right now. Well, I'm sure we'll do another podcast. Okay. Hopefully before 2070. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you feel a little bit less hopeless. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I. Um, but that's okay. I think it's fine to feel that way. I think it's. I think that's totally part of it, the the salad. Look, uh, the proof will be in the pudding, yeah. right? Like, where are we headed? What hey, it's a it's a uh, <laughs> the relay race. It, 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 I got it for a couple of days. Please, <laughs> can I pass the baton? Yeah. Yeah, I can, I got it for a minute. I got it for a minute. Yeah, I'll run as fast as I can. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know what? I don't I don't want to pass it. I I I'm not saying I want to run side by side with you, but let's both let's both hit it. Yeah, let's both do it. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah, lots. Lot lot. People. We forget that we're here. You know, in this you know situation right now, but it, it's it's really nice to reflect on you know the thousands of people listening to this conversation, many of whom have made it this far, which is a long time. Hour and thirty minutes. Good job, everybody. Um, so, so hit Tari up at City Swing. Go play some golf if you're in DC. I will be back. Awesome. We'll have an event. We'd love to have I'm you. I'm excited for that. We got to play capture the flag again, so that I can. Fun game. I need practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you for your time. Thank you.